Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I just uh, returned from uh, a week down in in L.A. um, with family, and I got back just a few hours ago, actually. Um, And uh, I knew I I was going to be with you here tonight, uh, but I didn't know what I was going to talk about. And I didn't quite have a lot of deep wisdom coming out of me, gushing out so easily. And uh, uh, not that there's a whole lot there to begin with, but every now and then I, something bubbles up and, and wants to be said. Um, but when that happens, I look on my, uh, on my shelf and uh, see uh, who really inspires me. <clears throat> and... Uh, it's been a while uh, that I've hung out with Ajahn Chah, uh, but he's somebody who has always really inspired me. And uh, so for my own benefit, as well as yours, I figured I'd borrow a little of his wisdom tonight and uh, share it with you, and uh, we can explore together what he uh, had to say. If you're uh, not familiar with Ajahn Chah, mm, here he is, a most happy fella. Um, and he is um, a very important person in our tradition. And at Spirit Rock, um, could say that he is uh, as influential as, as anybody um, in what goes on at Spirit Rock. Really, there are two streams of teachings that uh, that have become synthesized in uh, in the Dharma expression at Spirit Rock. One is uh, out of the Burmese tradition, uh, particularly Mahasi Sayadaw, uh, and uh, a style of practice with mental noting and where you're no- you're noticing moment after moment what your experience is. Uh, although there's variations in that technique, a lot of the technique uh, comes from Burmese um, approach to Vipassana meditation. Um, And that coupled with the Thai forest tradition, mainly through Ajahn Chah, who was uh, Jack Cornfield's uh, teacher, main teacher. Jack was a, a monk for... Uh, four years or so, four or five years in Thailand under Ajahn Chah's guidance. Um, Ajahn Chah was also Ajahn Sumedho's teacher and Ajahn Amaro's and the the Amaravati and uh, Abhayagiri monasteries. Um, Abhayagiri's up at, in Ukaya and Amaravati, many monasteries around the world uh, are 
out of the Ajahn Chah lineage. And Ajahn Chah, although he he didn't teach um, in the precise technique, say, of the Burmese practice that uh, that I just mentioned, his approach to practice and his approach to living one's life um, being held with in in the Dharma uh, is very much the spirit of the teachings that um, that we share. Mm. I had the the good fortune of being with Ajahn Chah. Um, I first met him in uh, 1977 when uh, I went to um, Burma and Thailand along with uh, Joseph Goldstein and Jack Cornfield and uh, a, a few other uh, teachers and friends, and we were all traveling around together for um, for a few weeks in this kind of magical mystery tour, Dharma travels. Uh, we had been in India, in Bodh Gaya, and then we went together uh, on that trip. Ramdas uh, joined us, and it was pretty cosmic. And I had just finished my first three-month retreat, and I was kind of in an altered state of consciousness anywhere, anyway, so it was kind of like continuing on this um, very extraordinary um, unfolding. And what struck me, especially that first time that I was with Ajahn Chah, we had gone to Burma first, um, and I was very moved by the Burmese people. They are some of the, as warm, uh, a culture as I'd, I'd ever met uh, and have ever met. <clears throat> but the um, approach to practice can be very serious. And uh, I was with, we were with a, a one master who um, highly revered uh, master, but as the um, uh, custom when one is a very um, revered and respected um, teacher master in the in in the Burmese tradition anyway at that time was that you you don't smile a, a lot at least this teacher didn't um, and when and we were with a um, a two year old who's now. 37, uh, and she was just the cutest, cute as a button, and, and would have everybody laughing and, uh, and, and uh, uh, just delighting in, in her antics. But when we were with the master, if she was cute and he started to smile, um, he would put up his, there's a big Bodhi leaf fan made out of straw about that big and he'd cover his face you know you know you, you could start to see the edges of it, of his lips you know and then he'd kind of go like this and it really gave me some pause and thinking whoa is this is that where this practice is heading uh because i don't know if i'm ready to give up my smile and playfulness and 
if it's going to get that serious that you're not allowed to smile or laugh. And I was, I had a something of a crisis of faith that I was kind of mulling over. Wow, is this? I'm very inspired by the teachings, but is that where it's going to end up? Then we went to Thailand and visited Ajahn Chah. Cured me of any kind of doubt. Ajahn Chah was playful and laughing and just natural and joking all the time and just kind of really poking and, uh, you know, in a kind of teasing way. Uh, And uh, when I saw him, I said, okay, if this is where it leads, that's fine with me. He's really cool and the real deal. He would go out to, uh, when he came to IMS, the meditation center in, uh, in Massachusetts, and uh, the people would be uh, slow walking on the lawn. Um, and his, in his style of practice, you didn't do the lifting, moving, placing like in the Burmese practice. So, but people were practicing in that style. And it was kind of different, unusual. If you sit with Ajahn Amaro or Ajahn Pasano or, you know, you can, uh, or Ajahn Sumedho, they're very natural, or Ayananda Bodhi, they're very natural and not trying to be doing a slow walking contest or anything like that. And he'd, he'd go up to, to people and, uh, and, uh, 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 and say something in Thai. I can't speak Thai. Uh, yeah, yeah, and they thought he was saying, you know, oh, you know, nice to meet you. Uh, I, good luck with your practice. But he was saying, I hope you get well soon. You know, <laughs> may may you be, may you may you come back to planet Earth. You know, um, so that was the kind of guy he was um, he's really cool he was um, is a famous exchange that that I happen to be around when somebody asked uh, asked him from one of the the villages he'd be a constant stream of visitors wanting to um, meet him both westerners but but more the the local villagers, especially in 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 the seventies um, and uh, somebody came to him and said, "Well, tell me about your teachings. you know tell me the essence of your of your teachings. Could you say it in a very uh, understandable way and uh, Ajahn Chah in, in a famous exchange said he he picked up his his cup and he said, "It's like this. you see you see my cup." I said, yeah. He said, this cup was given to me with a lot of love uh, and uh, holds my water and it's um, it's pleasing to the eye. I like it. I enjoy it. If I can see this cup is already broken, this is the essence of the teaching. Because sooner or later, the cup will break and if you can understand that everything that arises passes, uh, then you're not holding on with uh, a heart that's attached.
uh, to experiences or objects. And not only did the, the man uh, nod with satisfaction, we all did saying, oh, of course, how simple. Just see the, the cup is already broken. Mm. When Ajahn Chah died, um, which was in 1992, he was born in 1918 and died in 92. Um, I was just reading in Wikipedia uh, I I wanted because I wanted to get the number right. I didn't think I I didn't want to make it up. I thought, well, it could it be that many? But it said in Wikipedia, a million people came to pay their respects, came to his his funeral ceremony. He was he was big, <laughs> but um, but so humble and so uh, so real, so honest. So there's so many things that I, I, I could have read, and I have th- three-volume collection of his teachings. I started going through his, uh, through them, and then I um, I came back to this very simple, beautiful book, which you can get at Spirit Rock, called A Still Forest Pool, um, the um, Insight Meditation of Ajahn Chah and uh, Jack Cornfield and Paul Breider put together collections of of stories of Ajahn Chah and very simple um, uh, short um, teachings of his and um, then I was looking through the various teachings and then I came back to where I had bookmarked the book um, with my Walt Frazier, New York Knicks card, um, which I was very happy to find, too, um, to my favorite passage of Ajahn Chah that used to read a lot on retreats, and maybe some of you have heard this passage, um, but if you haven't, um, then uh, I'm glad to share it with you. There's another passage that I'll read of his as well that points to this this teaching too. Uh, this is a part of the book that is a question and answer. And the question is, I still have many thoughts and my mind wanders a lot even though I'm trying to be mindful. What should I do? And Ajahn Chah's answer, don't worry about this. Just try to keep your mind in the present. Whatever arises in the mind, just watch it and let go of it. Let it be. Don't even wish to be rid of thoughts. Then the mind will return to its natural state. No discriminating between good and bad, hot and cold, fast and slow. No me and no you, no self at all, just what there is. When you walk, there's no need to do anything special. Simply walk and see what is there. No need to cling to isolation or seclusion. Wherever you are, know yourself by being natural and watching. If doubts arise, watch them come and go. It's very simple. Hold on to nothing. 
Then he goes on. It's as though you're walking down a road. Periodically, you will run into obstacles. When you meet defilements, when you see negative tendencies in the mind, just see them and overcome them by letting them go. Don't think about the obstacles you've already passed. Don't worry about those you've not yet seen. Stick to the present. Don't be concerned about the length of the road or the destination. Everything is changing. Whatever you pass, don't cling to it. Eventually, the mind will reach its natural balance where practice is automatic and all things will come and go of themselves. Then he goes on. I'll just read this last piece. Sitting for hours on end is not necessary. Some people think that the longer you can sit, the wiser you must be. I've seen chickens sitting on their nests for days on end. Wisdom comes from being mindful in all postures. Your practice can begin as soon as you awaken in the morning, and it can continue until you fall asleep. Don't be concerned about how long you can sit. What's important is only that you keep watchful, you keep mindful, whether you're walking or sitting or going to the bathroom. Each person has their own natural pace. Some of you will die at age 50. Some at age 65. Some at age 90. So too, your practice, your practices will not be identical. Don't think or worry about this. Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful rare animals will come to drink at the pool and you will see clearly the nature of all things. You'll see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. You'll see many wonderful and strange things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. And that's where the, the title of the book, A Still Forest Pool, uh, comes from, that, that answer, that response. <clears throat> So many things in that, uh, that teaching from not being concerned about the thoughts that you have, how many, where they've come from, what the content is. I hope you got that. This is the great master that a million people came to at his funeral saying, don't even wish to be rid of thoughts. You don't have to get rid of your thoughts. This is such a common misunderstanding. If I were only doing the meditation right, then I would just be empty. 
I, I used to think that when I would do it right, that there'd be some kind of magic giant vacuum cleaner that would come and suck all my thoughts out, and I'd be blank. Ah, now I'm meditating. Don't even wish to be rid of thoughts. Thoughts are just a natural part of who we are. Just like our eyes see and our ears hear, you don't say, stop hearing those sounds. No. The ears hear if there's an organ and, uh, and, and consciousness that can connect with the object out there. And in the same way, the mind thinks. It's its function to think. And it's a beautiful thing that we have that capacity to think. We just need to train our mind so we can choose what thoughts to believe and empower and have a, a training where we can let the thoughts that don't really serve us or that are confusing or frightening or come from a contraction in, in the mind or the heart where we see how empty they are. Oh, it's just a thought. No problem. It's only when thought is seen as the enemy that there's a problem. And thought is not the enemy. That passage helped me immensely when I was starting out. Oh, don't even wish to be rid of thoughts. Ah, that sounds pretty good. And then he says... No discriminating between good and bad. No me and no you. No self at all. Just what there is. This creating that sense of separation and duality is just another thought in the mind. Of course, yeah, here's James and there's you. And on one level, there's a relative reality. But on another level, when you see deeply into the nature of things, it's just all expressions of life communicating with itself. No me, no you, no self at all. No abiding self to whom life is happening, but rather life expressing itself in this form called you. No need to do anything special. No need to cling to isolation or seclusion. Know yourself wherever you are by being natural and watching. That, and that was the beauty about Ajanta. So natural, just himself, with being, he can be uh, self-deprecating and uh, not trying to be anyone special, just just himself, and that was the gift that that was communicated. Oh, if he's just himself, he can be playful. He can be just real and ordinary. Oh, it allows me to be just myself. Oh, that's okay too. Mm. Don't think about the obstacles you've already passed. Don't worry about those you've not yet seen. Stick to the present. Don't be concerned about the length of the road or the destination. Everything is changing. Wherever you pass, 
don't click whatever you pass don't cling to it and then i love this this piece which really i i want to focus on a, a bit more which in which he says that each person has their own natural pace some may die at age 50 some at age 65 some at age 90 and our spiritual practices will not be identical don't think or worry about this this can especially in our competitive society uh can be just one more way that we are seeing if we're measuring up if we're as wise as our friends or as neurotic as they are or gosh i've been practicing for 10 years and i still get caught in my own trips you know what kind of a pathetic meditator am i don't think or worry about this just you do your part try to be mindful and let things take their natural course I mean, how obvious how obvious and yet how elusive try to be mindful and let things take their natural course you do your part you show up and then naturally there'll be a settling in and your mind will become still in any surroundings like a clear forest pool so this is one of the beauties of practice where you don't have to quiet down your mind yeah it's nice if it gets quiet but even if it's not quiet if you can find a centeredness and a stillness right in the middle of the busyness or the activity if you can find a center right in the middle of your fear or your grief or your loneliness or whatever it is that you get caught in not that you can somehow find some some magical place but actually when you find your center another way i think of thinking of it is um is holding whatever you're experiencing with a very kind present awareness where it's all there's enough space in the mind where things don't have to confuse and toss us then that stillness is more naturally accessible not that you're trying to get it just so perfectly quiet that that you're not at all ruffled but even the ruffling is part of your practice oh can i find a stillness right in the midst of this too and then knowing that you're just facing in the right direction everything will take its natural course i wanted to then um follow up on this with one other short teaching from this book that continues along this line he says the buddha taught that with things that come about of their own once you've done your work you can leave the results to nature 
to the power of your accumulated karma. Yet your exertion or effort should not cease. Whether the fruit of wisdom comes quickly or slowly, you cannot force it. Just as you cannot force the growth of a tree you have planted, the tree has its own pace. Your job is to dig a hole, water and fertilize it, and protect it from insects. That much is your affair, a matter of faith. But the way the tree grows up, sorry, but the way the tree grows is up to the tree. If you practice like this, you can be sure all will be well and your plant will grow. Thus, you must understand the difference between your work and the plant's work. Leave the plant's business to the plant and be responsible for your own. If the mind does not know what it needs to do, it will try to force the plant to grow and flower and give fruit in one day. This is wrong view, a major cause of suffering. Just practice in the right direction and leave the rest to your karma. Then, whether it takes one or a hundred or one thousand lifetimes, your practice will be at peace. I love that. Know what's your work and what what's the plant's work. And the same way with your practice, it's like you're growing a, a little Buddha plant in your heart. You know, the the uh, the expression sometimes in the Tibetan practice practice is bodhicitta, the seed of enlightenment that we all come into this world with. We all have this seed that can grow and sprout and awaken into full realization. And our job is to nurture that seed by practicing, by being with like-minded friends, by having a... Um, commitment to keep on waking up by living our life within the context of um, skillful action that doesn't cause harm. Ajahn Chah, by the way, was as playful as he was, he had a very strong discipline and was very much a, um, a proponent of uh, really staying to the discipline of skillful action and to not cause harm and to uh, make wise choices. He said, this is the way, as the Buddha said, this is the way to find peace within yourself. Not out of fear, but out of wisdom that when you choose to act wisely, this is the basis of of inner peace. So in those ways, you're watering the Buddha plant inside, your seed of enlightenment, and then it's up to that seed to keep developing in its own way and not up to you to say, 
are we there yet? You know, or I'm behind schedule. This is a really um, great frustration in practice if we get very impatient with our, our practice. As I've said before, the Dalai Lama saying that probably one of the, the biggest differences between Eastern and Western practitioners is this quality of impatience because we're so used to fast results. Sometimes it's, it's called McDharma, you know. <laughs> you know. Well, come on. Are we there yet? That just gets in the way. And how, what a relief to just see, oh, my job is to face in the right direction and to show up as best I can and put in my time and bring a sincerity and a wholeheartedness to practice and then just let the Dharma take care of the rest. How freeing that it's not up to you to have it match any particular imagined timetable. All you need to do is face in the right direction. And then he says, you still have to do your work. Remember, he didn't say, okay, now you know where happiness lies, now just lay back and be carried by you know, a magic carpet ride. You have to keep on showing up and making those choices. That's your part of watering the plant. But it's not up to you to make it grow faster than it does. And in fact, with that quality of patience, with that quality of um, a kind, patient, compassionate understanding, things keep on unfolding. So there's this, actually this um, paradox that you don't have to do anything more other than water the plant that actually in this moment, this is enough. He has this beautiful um, teaching, just this much, just this much. This moment is the only one you need to worry about. Stick to the present, like he says in that other, that other teaching. And that everything is here right now for you to wake up. This moment is a moment of freedom if you can understand and not fight it and just allow it and meet it with a, with a kind, wise awareness. And yet there is a path to keep walking that will um, open to a, a much deeper understanding. You face in the right direction, put in your time, and it keep, the, the plant, the flower, keeps on growing and flowering. So it's this paradox that it's already right here, and yet there's work to be done for it to continue to grow. That's the paradox between the awakening that is imminent, that is right here, right now, or transcendent. Oh, I'm here, I'm walking a path, and then it will flower fully at some point. 
facing in the right direction. I'll share uh, one more thing, and then we can open up to uh, to conversation. That um, I've I've shared here before about my uh, exchange with Joseph Goldstein, my my teacher, um, who uh, I went to in in the middle of one longer retreat, and it was like mind blowing. I was just kind of seeing things I'd never seen before, and I went into the interview and I said. Um, Wow, I don't know what I've been doing up until now, but this is like a whole new world. And he said, uh, yeah, oh yeah, I know what that's like. I said, you do? He said, yeah, I get it every time I do a retreat. I said, really? And then he leaned forward and he said, yeah, and you know what? It's like we're at the tip of the iceberg. And he had this twinkle in his eye. It's like we're at the tip of the iceberg. He was not saying... There's so much more work you've got to go do before you're going to learn anything. You know, oh, what a bummer this. Uh, you know, you're just at the beginning. He was saying, how exciting. How ex- We're just at the tip of... The- it's always l- life revealing itself more and more and more. We're at the tip of the iceberg. How how amazing this adventure is and all we have to do is face in the right direction and just be hungry to awaken and learn and do our part to show up and life keeps on revealing itself and the heart keeps on opening so I'll stop here, and if there's any comments or thoughts or questions about what I've said or about practice in general, we can take some time. Great. Thanks, Andrew. Just uh, for a moment, without putting you on the spot, okay? Just uh, close your eyes for a moment. And um, get in touch with what inspires you to practice. And what your forward edge of practice is right now. And if there's anything you would like to explore about practice, Okay. And if there's not, then we'll just have a quiet early evening. Thank you. Yeah, put it right next to your lips. Yeah.
right next to my lips. <clears throat> um, wow, thank you. Thank you, and um, thank you to everybody who's here. It's wonderful to be here. Um, feeling very blissed out. I just wanted to share, you know, as you asked us to sort of get in touch with what inspires us to practice. Um, I, I think the whole McDharma thing <laughs> really, really hit a, a spot because um, I, I, I hear the question and I ask myself the question, you know, my gosh, life is so hectic and so fast and we're running so, so quickly and everything is kind of make this, make that, make this, make that all over the place, at least in my life. And the question that keeps coming up is, when do I have time to practice? And the answer for me has finally, um, has finally come to, um, I, I don't actually have time to, to not practice because the space and the clarity and the joy and the creativity <laughs> that comes from, um, from practice and from mindfulness takes care of all that other um, craziness and frenzy. And uh, so that was all I wanted to share. And again, very deep gratitude to everybody who's here and that's part of the Sangha. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> that's a huge shift, by the way, when you're, when you're doing, when you're practicing. And by practicing, don't necessarily mean um, only sitting formally, uh, although that can be the cornerstone to just take some time from this busyness and just stop and realize there's a whole world that you can connect with inside that affects everything going on outside. But to see that, to hold your life in the context of practice rather than squeezing my practice into my life, that shift means everything. Then it's... Your 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 Dharma practice isn't something that you do on the side as a little uh, hobby, or as a you know an, a nice thing to to add to the rest of your life. Everything we do can be part of waking up. Everything, every time we blow it, every time we get confused, every as long as we keep on learning from our mistakes, there's no mistakes. But we have to want to keep on learning. So um, thank you very much, and I'm really happy for that shift that's, that's happened for you. I just wanted to, to tell you that um, I came to talk to you 30-plus years ago about the three-month retreat. Can you hear me? Okay. And... Um, and so I went. And you were so warm and opening. Um, and I wanted to thank you. And I just sat again with Joseph. I've sat the whole 30 years, different things. And now I'm going back to the forest refuge. And uh, so, you know, thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm sure you'll pass it on. And that's what 
that's what I've been doing. Uh, just the gratitude that you know when when your heart is touched by the Dharma and and somebody is has been there for you. Um, what else to do but then just pass it on? And then who does it belong to? You know, who does the the either the wisdom belong to or the kindness belong to? It's just uh, just passed on through us. So um, enjoy it as it comes through you. And I'm glad that I could be there for you. Okay, going once, going twice. Okay, well let's uh, close with a loving kindness. And um, just as you sit here, mm, get in touch with the blessing, with the grace of somehow having heard something inside that makes you want to face in the right direction. Even if you forget, don't judge yourself. Don't even wish to be rid of anything. But somehow, there's something that's speaking to you from deep inside that you can't ignore. What a blessing. That's why Ajahn Chah says, just let your karma unfold. You do your part and let all the forces of goodness inside of you keep carrying you on. And what a gift to everybody in your life. So first, send some kind, loving thoughts to yourself. May I see all the goodness that's inside. And may I share my love well. And may I hold my fears and confusions with kindness and compassion. May I awaken to my true nature. And then extending that out including everybody here and out from this room to all beings everywhere as I want happiness and peace may all find happiness and peace may all 
connect with the Buddha right inside and share their love well. May all awaken to their true nature. May our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you very much. Mm. Have a good week. Mm. See you in a couple of weeks. <laughs>